0: The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. I want to start this morning, uh, and I want to share a little story about Steve Austin. How many of you are familiar with Steve Austin? Anybody know Steve Austin or you've heard about him? Now, the few of you who raised your hands, probably most of you are thinking of Stone Cold Steve Austin the famous worldwide, uh, the WWF wrestler. I think when you Google Steve Austin, he's the first name that comes up, but actually that's not the one I'm thinking of. I wanna go back another few decades. I'm thinking of the Steve Austin of the 1970s. Um, he was a test pilot for the US Air Force, handsome guy, very talented, flew experimental aircraft. Um, and as he did that, unfortunately one day, his, this one of these test planes that he was flying got into a very bad accident and he nearly lost his life. Very, very difficult circumstances. But Fortunately, the US government uh, through the advances in technology and all that was able to perform a six million dollar operation where they gave him two bionic legs, one bionic arm, and a bionic eye. And at this moment, I have to apologize to everyone who was born after 1980 because you're thinking, what is he talking about? I'm actually describing a television show that ran for about five years in the 1970s. It was actually called The Six Million Dollar Man. And Lee Majors played Steve Austin, and he was this guy. Once he got put back together, he had these kind of superpowers. He, these bionic legs would let him run at over 60 miles an hour. This bionic arm of his had just superhuman strength, right? He could, it was like a tractor, like a caterpillar thing. He could pick up cars and grab bad guys, of course. Um, and then there was this bionic eye. That's what I really want to focus on, right? The bionic eye. It was, it was a regular eye. He would see normally, but then when he wanted to, he could kind of zoom out like a telescope, and he would see like a thousand feet out, things that you could never really see. And and sometimes it even had this infrared capability where you could see behind walls and buildings. It it allowed him, and what was funny about it, every time he would use that bionic eye, they had this cheesy sound effect, right? You remember this? (laughs) And that's how you knew he was using his bionic eye. That's how bad TV was in the 70s for you that were born after 1980. Again, I apologize for this opening illustration. But Steve Austin with that bionic eye was able to see things That no one else could see, and that's what he used to help him fight the bad guys. That was kind of the point of the show. Well, here's the question for all of us this morning. How would you like to be able to see things that no one else can see? Would that be kind of a cool superpower to have? Well, it's not just a superpower. In fact, that is something that God wants all of us as His kids to be able to have and enjoy. Um, And so the title of my message this morning, in fact, kind of points that direction. I've titled it, Walking by Faith, not by sight. This morning's message is all about sight. And I didn't make that phrase up. That actually comes to us from the New Testament. The Apostle Paul in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 7, he actually wrote about the life of a believer. He said, for we walk by faith, not by sight. So this is something that's supposed to be natural, normal for us as believers. That's what I want to talk about this morning. And when Paul says we walk by faith, not by faith, what he's saying is when you walk by faith and not by sight, what that describes is it's a believer who's looking for God, looking at their life, trying to see where God is leading. And then as they notice that and observe it, they're able to follow him and obey him and enjoy all the blessings he's prepared for each of his kids. Well, that's what our message is about this morning, we're, but we're going to see that. This is part of the Joshua Generation series, so to find an illustration of that, we're going to go all the way back to the book of Numbers, chapter 13 and 14. Numbers 13 and 14. If you want to turn to Numbers 13, that's where we're going to start our study today. And while you're turning there, let me just set the backdrop for this text. Um, and in fact, let me just say, the, kind of the, the star of our message this morning is going to be this guy named Caleb. Uh, Caleb was a, was a partner of Joshua's. We're going to see he and Joshua are kind of the heroes of this story. Um, he was a man of great faith. He was a leader in Israel, and he helped Joshua as he led the nation of Israel into the Promised Land. So that's who we're kind of focused on this morning. Um, but Numbers 13, like I said, where we find ourselves here is this is a, we find the nation of Israel right on the border of the Promised Land. Uh, this is literally 38 years before where we saw them last week. It's 38 years before they were actually able to enter into the Promised Land. Remember, if you were with us last Sunday, Daniel preached from Joshua chapter three about how they crossed over the Jordan River on dry ground. They had to learn to take steps of faith to actually inherit the Promised Land. And and as, as positive and great as that step was, you have to know that Israel was in the exact same place 38 years earlier, that's what we're looking at today, and they were not able to enter into the Promised Land. We're gonna see why. Uh, This was also only 15 short months after they had been delivered from Egypt. It only took God 15 months to deliver them from slavery, lead them through the wilderness, and deliver them to the doorsteps of the Promised Land. And now at this moment, right here in Numbers 13, God was ready and wanted to lead them in the land. He was ready to give it to them. But again, as I mentioned, they did not end up, tragically, they did not end up entering into the land. They wandered the wilderness for 38 years. And while this story is tragic, it actually, I believe, provides a great encouragement and invitation for us today. And this is the invitation I believe God has for each one of us. If we want to walk with God, we have to walk by faith. If we want to walk with God, we must walk by faith. And so with that in mind, there's two questions I want to try to answer this morning. Two main questions. First, what does it look like to walk by faith? What does that even mean, right? As a believer, how do you walk by faith? What is that? Um, and for those of us, maybe that's new to you, you've never heard this idea before, you're like, what, even, you know, what does that even mean? Or maybe you've tried it, but you're not really feel, you don't feel like you know how to do it very well. The second main question I want to try to answer this morning is, again, then if we are supposed to walk by faith, how do we do that? How's that even possible? So that's where this study is going. And let me say before we jump in, lastly, we're not going to be able to read all of Numbers in 13, 13 and 14 this morning. There's just a little too much there. I certainly strongly encourage you to look at that this week when you're on your own. Um, but anyway, we're just going to take some selected passages and try to look at this idea of what it means to walk by faith, not by sight. So uh, if you will, look with me at Numbers chapter 13. We're going to start in verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders." Okay, pause right there. We're going to have to skip some verses right now. Let me just summarize the next few verses. So the text tells us that based on God's command, Moses went to the nation of Israel and he chose a leader from each of the 12 tribes, someone who was recognized as one of their elders. Um, And again, we're just going to focus in on two of them here because 10 of them we really don't care about. Uh, The two that we're focused on this morning is Caleb, who was from the tribe of uh, Joshua. uh, sorry, from the tribe of Judah, and Joshua, who was from the tribe of Ephraim. These are the heroes of our story this morning. So the, the text describes who they chose and how. And then it goes on to tell us about how they, these 10 scouts went in and they scouted out the land. So skip down, with you, if you will, with me to verse 21. Let's read about what they found as they went in and scouted the land. So these 12 scouts, they went up and explored the land from the desert of Zin as far as Rahab toward Label Hamath. They went up through the Negev and came to Hebron, where Ahiman, Shishai, and Ptolemy, the descendants of Anak, lived. Hebron had been built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. And when they reached the valley of Eshkol, they cut off a branch bearing a single cluster of grapes. Two of them carried it on a pole between them, along with some pomegranates and figs. That place was called the Valley, the Valley of Ishcol, because the cluster of grapes the Israelites cut off there. And at the end of 40 days, and after a journey of about 500 miles, they returned from exploring the land. Okay, this is where we see this, they went on this scouting mission, and this is where we notice the first thing we wanna see about what it means to walk by faith. The first thing we need to know is that faith is not blind. If you're taking notes this morning, First thing you want to write in is faith is not blind. You know, blind faith is a term that's used to describe having trust or confidence in something or someone without having any evidence to back it up or support it. You just have confidence in them. And for this reason, it's typically used in a dismissive or a condescending manner because these days, the idea that a person would believe or trust in something with no evidence to back it up, well, it seems sort of foolish, right? You've got to have some reason for your belief. An example of blind faith that's really close to home for me is my wife Lynn's faith in the Chargers. (laughs) We've been married, you need to know, we've been married now for almost 30 years, so I've been watching this for a while. See, Lynn's a San Diego native, she has six brothers, and so she grew up watching Charger football. They've always been her team, even since before she met me. And despite the fact that they've never won the Super Bowl, they've not won their division since 2009, And frankly, if you've ever watched a Charger game, kind of what they're really good at is losing games they should probably win. That's what they're famous for. Nevertheless, every year at the start of the NFL season, Lynn believes 100% that the Chargers can win the Super Bowl that year. This is gonna be the year that they finally reward her for her unwavering loyalty. Well, while I love her enthusiasm, I do not share her blind faith. And thankfully for us, Unlike the chargers, God does not ask us to trust him blindly. He invites us to believe him based on two reliable things that he's already given to us. His past faithfulness and his promises. His track record of faithfulness and his promises are two things that we can look to to to, uh, encourage us to trust him. And the nation of Israel, including the 12 scouts that we're looking at here, had both of these things at this moment. Let me explain See, every person that was standing on the border of the promised land had personally experienced God's faithfulness over the past 15 months. Think about it. They witnessed God's awesome power through the 10 plagues he had brought against the nation of Egypt that forced Pharaoh to set them free. And after Pharaoh let them go, they watched God open a path through the Red Sea as they crossed on dry ground. And as soon as they got across, the walls came down and the sea covered and destroyed the Egyptian army. As they journeyed through the wilderness, God provided fresh water from a rock and special food from heaven every single day. He revealed his presence to them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, showing them that he was with them every step of the way. So with with such a strong track record of faithfulness, they had good reason to trust that God would give them the promised land as he said he would. But that's not all. Notice the people also had received God's abundant promises. Again, before they stepped a single foot in the land, the, t- the 12 scouts, including the people, had God's promise that he was giving it to them. Look at verse 2 again from our text. Notice God said, Send some men in to explore the land of Canaan, notice which I am giving to the Israelites. And in the original Hebrew there, the way it's written, it's a very intensive phrase. Literally, it could be translated, I myself am giving it to you. So this was his promise. And it's interesting, right? This is before they put their first step in. He said, you're going in, but don't worry. It's already yours. It's more. And this this wasn't the first time he had made this promise. If you go all the way back to Abraham, which was the first time God promised to give this land to Abraham's descendants, Genesis chapter 15, and you work your way all the way up through Numbers chapter 13, you discover that... A fully 12 times God promised to Abraham and his descendants that this was land he would give to them. This promise right here in verse 2 is the 12th time God made this very same promise to the people. So they had his promise that this land was for them. He also promised them that it was a land flowing with milk and honey, which meant it was perfectly suited for their agrarian lifestyle. They were farmers and shepherds, right? This was just ideal, fruitful land. He also promised that he would drive out the inhabitants of the land. And if you go back and study it, every one of the inhabitants, he, by name he said, I will go before you and I will drive them out. I will give it to you. Finally, he had promised them that his presence would go with them and that they would be his people. So they had a track record of faithfulness. They had these rich, specific promises that they could follow. And we need to know today that all of these promises were trustworthy because God is trustworthy. How many of you know that Every promise is only as good as the promisor. So for example, if I was to write a check out this morning for $1 million and walk out and give it to one of you, uh, as excited as you might be, uh, that wouldn't be that great. I wouldn't recommend you run out of here and go try to find a bank to cash it today because that promise, the promisor really can't get behind that promise. But when God makes a promise, you know what? You can take it to the bank. He is able to deliver on everything he promises. That's who he is. This was Joshua's testimony at the very end of his life as he was looking back on everything God had done. This was Joshua's testimony to the nation of Israel. I put Joshua 23, 14 in our notes. Let's read this one together. Now I am about to go the way of all the earth. You know with all your heart and soul that not one of all the good promises the Lord your God gave you has failed. Every promise has been fulfilled. Not one has been has failed. Isn't that amazing? As Joshua looked back on his life in the last few days of his life, he said, you know what, Lord? The one thing that I notice about my life is your faithfulness. Not one good word of yours has dropped to the ground. And here's the thing. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ this morning and you're listening to the sound of my voice, this too will be our testimony toward the end of our lives. As we reach the end of our journey, we are gonna look back and we're gonna say, you know what, Lord? You have been faithful not one of your promises has been failed. And just like Joshua and the children of Israel, we can rely on that as we walk forward with him by faith. So while the people didn't know what they would encounter when they went into the land, they did have God's past faithfulness and his trustworthy promises to rely on as they went in to look around. So the first thing to know is that when you walk by faith, you are not walking blindly. That's not what it's about. In fact, Walking by faith is the exact opposite of walking blindly. And this is the next point in our outline, if you want to fill it in. The second thing to know about walking by faith is that faith is spiritual sight. Faith actually is spiritual sight. And let's look at that for a minute. You know, I think all of us learned as children somewhere along the way that God has given us these five physical senses, right? Sight, smell, hearing, taste, and touch. And it's through these five senses that we encounter and understand the natural world around us, right? That's how we discover the natural world. Well, far less known and understood is that God has also given all of us spiritual senses that correspond to each of those physical senses. And it's through these spiritual senses that we develop an awareness of God and the things that he's doing in our life. So, um, and and these are all over scripture. If we had time, we could look at a bunch of them. But I want to just look at one this morning where King David reveals two of these senses to us. I put this in your notes. Let's together read Psalm 34, verse 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. What David is revealing to us here in this simple little well-known verse is that the goodness of God is something that you can actually taste and see. It can be perceived and understood, not with our tongues and our eyes, but with our spiritual senses of taste and sight. And let me see if I can give you an illustration of how you've already, you may not have known this, but you've probably, if you're a follower of Jesus, this is, you've already experienced this in your own life. If you follow Him and if you've walked with Jesus for any length of time, surely you've, something's happened in your life. You've come across a situation where maybe you got a job that you were really hoping for, or something important in your life that you've been praying about and you've been waiting on, it just kind of fell into place for you all of a sudden. Just there it was, it happened. Or maybe really simply, it could be something as small as, you know, you're driving around, you're going someplace, you're kind of circling a, a busy parking lot, and all of a sudden that parking space right up front opens up for you, and you, and you park it, and you're like, Kojak, yes, <laughs> praise the Lord, right? In that moment, you realize that that was not karma, that was not your good planning, It wasn't even necessarily, I mean, yeah, God was answering your prayers if you were praying about it, but really what that was, was that was God's goodness expressed to you. God just smiled on you and said, my son, my daughter, here it is, look, I wanna do this for you, right? In that moment, you tasted and you saw God's goodness, not with your eyes, not with your tongue, but with your spiritual senses of taste and sight, right? That's how it works. So what we need to know this morning is faith is what gives us spiritual sight. Faith is what allows us to see what God is doing in our lives. It gives us a bigger perspective of everything happening around us. And in this way, faith literally changes what we see. It changes what we see. And that's what we're gonna notice as we now look at the report of these 12 scouts. They're gonna come back to Moses. They finished looking at the land. And the next part of our text is gonna be a report of what they saw. And as we study the reports, we're going to get two different reports here. As we look at them, we're going to notice that all 12 scouts saw the same thing. They experienced the same things, but only two of them, Joshua and Caleb, saw something more because they had a different perspective. Look with me at Numbers 13, verses 26 through 29. So they came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Haran. And there the scouts reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. And then they gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does indeed flow with milk and honey. Here, look at its beautiful fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites lived near the sea and along the Jordan. So first thing I want you to know is this is their report, kind of this is what we went in and saw. This is what they saw with their natural eyes. And notice all 12 scouts saw the same thing. The report says that the land was just exactly as God had described it to them. They said, look, it truly flows with milk and honey. This is an amazingly fertile land. And in fact, he said, look at this single great cluster that we brought back. It was so big it had to be carried on a pole by two men. Now, I don't know about you, but I tell you what, Lynn and I have never walked out of a grocery store with a piece of produce hanging over a pole stretched out between our two arms. We just, it hasn't happened. Not even Costco has fruit that big, really, <laughs> right? So this was some amazing fruit. But notice they go on to say, the land is also full of big people that live in big walled cities. And while we don't have, they don't, we don't know from the account here which cities they visited, We do know that later on, uh, we're going to discover, we haven't come to this yet in our Generation, Joshua Generation series. I'm sure Daniel's going to cover it in the future, but we know later on, they do come to the city of Jericho. That was one of the cities in the land, and these scouts may have looked at Jericho, and we know from archaeology, they've studied it, and they've discovered that, you know, Jericho was built on a hill, had a series of walls, but literally the first wall on the outer wall of Jericho, archaeologists believe it was 45 to 50 feet tall, and about six feet wide. So that's about four stories high. Literally, look at the ceiling here in the sanctuary. It would have been taller than the ceiling here inside the sanctuary, and six feet high. Certainly, that was a big wall. How would you ever you know, get around that? They also mention here they saw the descendants of Anak. And you need to know that none of them are named here, but these guys were giants, and there are a few of them named in Scripture. The one that's probably the most famous to us appears in the book of 1 Samuel, We all know him by the name Goliath. Goliath was actually a descendant of Anak, and we do know a little bit about him, right? We're told in 1 Samuel that he was probably more than nine feet tall, a very big guy. And not only that, we're told that the armor that he wore around weighed 125 pounds. Now, if I had an 125-pound weight up here on this podium, right, I probably couldn't lift that by myself without hurting my back. I would need to ask maybe Steve to come up here and would you, the two of us together might be able to get it off the ground, right? But Goliath is a guy who basically his sport coat weighed 125 pounds. Just imagine, right? So this was a very big guy. He was a giant. So what we need to see is, you know, their description of what they saw with their natural eyes, what they encountered, what they, what they perceived, was the same. This was a great land, but it was full of giants with walled cities. So how would they conquer it? And this is where, at this point in the story, this is where the perspectives of these 12 scouts changes. Two of them saw one thing, 10 of them saw something else. And this is also where this account and the future of an entire generation changes. It pivots right here. So look with me at verses 30 to 33. Again, Numbers chapter 13. Look what happens. So After giving this account, then Caleb silenced the people before Moses, and he said, We should go up and take possession of the land immediately, for we can certainly do it. But the other men who had gone up with him, this is what they said, We can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They went on to say, The land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes and we looked the same to them." So first Caleb, right? Perhaps he sensed fear in the tone of the other scouts as they gave that initial report about the big people with the big walls. And so he's the first one to jump in and, he says, and he's trying to turn the conversation back toward trusting God and believing in his promises. He basically says, look, no, no, don't pay attention to that. Look, God is with us. Remember, the land is exactly as he promised it would be. Surely with his help, as he promised, we will be victorious. And notice Caleb saw opportunity, but the other 10 scouts, right as, no sooner does he finish, but the other 10, they step forward again and notice how the report changed. Where they first were describing what they observed, now they're giving their interpretation of what they observed. They offer basically their opinion on whether God's plan is feasible. Based on what we saw, is it really possible? What God is inviting us to do, is it something we can carry out? And notice as they describe that, their report changes a little bit. Instead of a, a good land with big enemies, right, now they describe it as a land that devours its people. Ooh, that sounds scary, Right? Notice now, instead of a few giants in the land, uh, in verse 32 they say, all the people there were giants. Every last person was a giant. Look, 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 look where their minds are running off here. They basically said, look, they're so big, we're like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and, and they saw us the same way. Right? Basically, they're saying, we are so small, it's impossible for us to take the land from them. And notice the text goes out of its way here in these last couple of verses of chapter 13 to label this as a bad report so that none of us have to wonder whose perception was correct here. We know who was seeing things correctly and who was not. And where Caleb and Joshua saw immediate opportunities, the other 10 scouts saw insurmountable obstacles. We just These are so big we can't get past it. So I want to ask the question right now. How could 12 people who took the same journey, who saw and experienced the exact same things reach such wildly different conclusions. Well, I want to submit to us this morning, Caleb and Joshua were walking by faith, so they saw the situation from a different perspective. They saw it from God's perspective. So yes, the opposition was formidable and far stronger than the Israelite army, no doubt. But with God's help, which he had promised he would provide them, these giants were doomed. The same God who had defeated the armies of Egypt and parted the Red Sea, who had promised he would give them this very land, he would have no trouble defeating these giants. Compared to him, these giants were nothing. They were the tiny grasshoppers. But the other 10 scouts, in contrast, rather than walk by faith, they were walking simply by sight. What, that, what I mean by that is they saw the situation solely from the natural perspective based on what they believed they could accomplish with their own resources. And since they were unable to see the situation from God's point of view, their vision became myopic. It narrowed in. They couldn't see the far horizon. They could only see what was just in front of them. They were nearsighted. And so without God's help, they saw themselves as insignificant and powerless to overcome the giants and their walled cities. Basically, You know, nearsightedness, myopia, it's when you can't see far away. You can only see what's right in front of you. And so when you're looking at your situation, when you're looking at things that are threatening you, dangers and things that come in, if all you can see is what's right in front of you, of course, what's in front of you looks huge. It looks impossible, insurmountable. But if you can back up and get a bigger perspective, again, all of a sudden those things that seem huge, you know, become smaller and smaller and things that you can actually believe that God can accomplish for you. And so. While it's easy in hindsight to condemn these 10 scouts, because let's face it, God says that was a bad report they gave, let's also be honest with ourselves, right? We too can become myopic at times in our own lives, unable to see beyond the obstacles that confront us, right? Fear and discouragement rise up and sometimes even overwhelm us, and that's because, let's face it, again, the obstacles and the opposition in front of us, it's very real, Life is hard. We're walking through a world that's broken and marred by sin. You know, the injuries are real. And we're not guaranteed just because we follow Jesus that we're going to get out of here, you know, scot-free. We all have suffered loss. We've all been injured. And we're not, you know, and suffering is, is part of the program, right? But if, we, if all we can focus on is just the hard things in front of us, um, we miss out on what God has for us. And that's why one of the most frequent encourages, encouragements in the Bible, you know what it is? do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Over and over again, God encourages us, do not be afraid. We're going to see it again in this story before we finish. So rather than give in to fear, God wants us to choose to trust him, to not give up and to continue moving forward with him and the things he's planned for our lives. Okay. Well, we've looked at the scouts that went in and kind of the journey they took. We've looked at the report they gave based on what they did and how they saw two different things. And now we're gonna finish this first part of our study today by looking at the consequences of this bad report. What happened as a result of this bad report? And this is also where we discover the third thing that I'd like you to see about what it means to walk by faith, and this is in your notes, that is faith is how we walk with God. Faith is how we walk with God. Look with me at chapter 14. Let's look at the first four verses. So that night, all the members of the community raised their voices and they wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, Oh, if only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken from us as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And then they said to each other, you know what, we should choose a new leader and let's go back to Egypt. Wow. Look how far and how quickly they've come. A bad report turned what should have been a day of joy and celebration into a day of despair and hopelessness. The unbelief of the 10 scouts caused them to give a bad report. And that bad report in turn incited hopelessness in the whole nation. And what was the result of that? Notice they began to complain against Moses and Aaron. You crummy leaders, how have you led us into a dead end? How have you brought us to this place where we're doomed, right? But notice, and this is how this is how it always works. When we start complaining against something in our lives, complaining about someone or something else that we don't like, inevitably we end up complaining against God. That's always where it lands. And that's what happens here. Notice their complaining ultimately turned into rebellion, and that rebellion was against God. And and look at verse 3. All of a sudden, God, instead of being this deliverer who in his love had had come for them and rescued them from slavery and brought them to this beautiful place, all of a sudden, now he's this horrible person who literally is trying to kill them. That's what verse 3 says. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword They're saying, God, you're trying to kill us. What's wrong with you? And you're trying to kill our wives and children too. I mean, look how blinded they'd become because of their limited perspective. They couldn't even see God correctly in what he was trying to do. What a tragedy. And, and notice the progression. This is, this is such a tragic episode that there are two places in the New Testament that the authors of the New Testament bring back this account. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and Hebrews, the end of chapter 3 and chapter 4. And that Hebrews section literally describes the sequence that the 10 scouts who gave the bad report and the nation followed here. And basically it says, this is how it works. Disbelief leads to disobedience, and disobedience leads to disinheritance. Basically, when we disobey, when we refuse to trust God, it leads us to rebel against Him, and when we rebel against Him, we end up losing out on the blessings He wants to give us. That's what happened to the spies and the nation of Israel here. But notice Caleb and Joshua, who were not just looking at the natural, but they were walking by faith and the spiritual sight that it gave them, they reached a completely different conclusion. Look for a minute with me at verses six through nine in chapter 14. So all this weeping is going on. Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had gone in and explored out the land, they tore their clothes and they said to the entire Israelite assembly, this land we passed through and explored, it's exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land. It's a land flowing with milk and honey, and he will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord. And notice, do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. And again, do not be afraid of them. There it is. Don't be afraid. Notice Joshua and Caleb's assessment is based on what God promised to them and their confidence in him to follow through on his promises. Basically what they said is, look, no, this land is good. It's exactly as he promised it would be. It's not going to devour us. And because of that, we have nothing to fear. Because the Lord is with us, our enemies, including any giants we might come across, they don't stand a chance. They are our bread. My modern translation of that is, look, we're going to eat these guys for lunch. Nothing to fear. So Joshua and Caleb show us the opposite of what the the 10 scouts showed us, and, and that is the other truth that's available to us this morning, which is when we trust God, when we choose to believe in Him, that causes us to obey Him. And when we obey Him and follow Him, that leads us to His blessings. That's how we receive and encounter all the blessings He has for us. Well, we don't have time to read the rest of the chapter. Let me just summarize it for you this morning. It reveals how this very tragic episode plays out. I and mean, then, if we read on, what we discover is because the people believe, they chose to believe the bad report of these 10 scouts and, their rep- and, and what they said about the land, the entire nation of Israel was not allowed to enter the promised land. God said, Turn around, head back into the wilderness. You've rejected it, so you won't have it. And basically, God said, for you are going to wander in the wilderness for 40 years, one year for every day that the spies, that the scouts were in the land. I'm going to make you wander in the wilderness and you'll know what happens when you don't trust me. And sadly, the text goes on to tell us that during those 40 years, every adult who was there on the border of the promised land, every adult who was there and had been invited in but chose not to, every single one of them died in the wilderness. Only two adults who were there on this day, were allowed to ultimately go into the promised land, Joshua and Caleb, the only two. So again, very, very tragic. And they were allowed to go in because they believed God and they chose to follow him. Well, I need us to know this morning, I need all of us to know, this is how God works. He requires everyone who wants to have a relationship with him to do so by faith. And this is something we see throughout the entire pages of Scripture. Go all the way back to the beginning. Genesis chapter 2, Genesis chapter 3, right? The Garden of Eden, before sin ever entered the world, even Adam and Eve had to have faith in their relationship with God, right? I mean, God had given them this perfect garden. It was beautiful. There was just this one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, in the middle of garden that he said, don't touch that one. You have everything else, but leave that one alone. Notice he didn't, didn't explain to them why They couldn't, why he'd put it there, why they weren't supposed to have it. He just said, don't touch it, it's bad for you. That's all. So by faith, they had to trust and believe that what he said about that tree was true and therefore choose to follow him. And we all know, sadly, they chose not to trust him. They did their own thing and, you know, we're all the poorer for it. The world is broken and sin entered the world because of that. So this is how God works. And in fact, we see it all the way through Scripture to the end of the Bible, but perhaps no more... Powerfully is this truth revealed than in Hebrews chapter 11, which is often known as the great uh, hall of faith. It's God's record of his heroes of faith. Literally, it's filled with stories of men and women who obtained a good testimony because they walked by faith. And most of the time, if you read that chapter, you discover that they didn't completely understand what, where God was leading them or even how their story was going to work out. They simply took God at his word and they acted on it. They demonstrated what Pastor Daniel described to us last week as dynamic faith. Remember that? Dynamic faith is what God is looking for, he said. It's faith that's willing to take action based on what it believes. And according to the author of Hebrews, this kind of faith is actually what pleases God. I put Hebrews chapter 11, 6 in your notes. Let's read it together. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Did you catch that? Without faith, it's not hard to please God. It's not just a long shot to please God. Literally, without faith, it is impossible to please God. It cannot be done. So, unless that sounds like a hard thing, but notice what the author goes on to write. God says, but look. The faith I'm looking for isn't that hard. It's just two things. Number one, you have to believe that God exists. And so if you're a follower of Jesus Christ this morning, and I sure hope you are if you're not, make today the day that you choose to follow him. But if you're a believer in him, you've already got the first part of this covered. You believe that he exists, that God exists, that Jesus was who he said he was. He came down, he died on the cross, and through faith in him, you have salvation. Great, you've got that covered. Then the only other thing he's looking for, this is the faith that pleases him, you just believe that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. That's it. Because if you believe that he rewards those who earnestly seek him, then what are you going to do? You're going to earnestly seek him, right? Why not? Why would I want, Lord, I want to come find you. Where are you? Let me see you. So how do we earnestly seek him? Or asked another way, what does it look like? How do we walk by faith? Back to our story today. How is it that we can walk by faith? The the two are synonymous. Earnestly seeking Him and walking by faith. It's basically describing the same thing. And this is in your notes. So we're going to wrap up with this. How do we walk by faith? I have good news for you. One simple word. Practice. Practice, practice, practice is how you learn to walk by faith. Begin to exercise your spiritual sight. Let me just share here. Unlike our physical senses, which are wearing out, our spiritual senses get better with age. I mentioned earlier that I uh, am nearsighted, I have myopia. I can't see far away. I'm wearing contacts right now, that's how I can see you. Uh, but if I didn't have these contacts, then I probably couldn't even see you guys in the front row. I Again, mean, I, was, I was a lawyer for a long time, my eyesight's really bad. But with contacts, I can see the far distance. I'm also, my eyes are so bad, I also now have what they call presbyopia. I'm also farsighted, I can't see up close either. These contacts do both. So my eyes, because I'm getting older, there's little by little, they're wearing out. Just like my hearing is probably wearing out. Lynn tells me I need to get my hearing checked. I haven't done that yet because I don't believe her. But it's true, right? Like as we get older, just like these bodies, you know, the Bible says they're like tents that are just wearing out, you know, wear and tear. It's the curse of sin. It's just all degrading, right? So our physical senses are wearing out. But here's the thing. The Bible promises that our spiritual senses, our spiritual sense of our ability to hear God's voice, to see His face to taste his goodness. Those things actually get better and better as we age. They get stronger and stronger because those are the senses we'll have in heaven as we're getting prepared to see him and meet him face to face. That'll be the language and the senses of heaven. So, and I'm not just making this up. Uh, Hebrews chapter five, verse 14, I put it in your notes. That's a promise. Let's read it together. But solid food is for the mature who because of practice have their senses trained to distinguish between good and evil. Did you see that? The author says mature believers, people who have been following Jesus for a while, they are the ones, because of practice, that have their senses trained to distinguish between good and evil. The author's talking about our spiritual senses here. He's not talking about like your taste. You don't have dinner and go, ooh, that was a good dinner or an evil dinner, right? Like, That's, you know, the difference, being able to distinguish between good and evil is a spiritual thing. You can discern, oh, that's God, that's not God. That's a good report, that's a bad report. Those are your, that's how you discern those with your spiritual senses. And notice the author says, your spiritual senses get better as you practice. Practice is, practice really does make perfect when it comes to our spiritual senses. So let me close today by giving you three ways to practice using your spiritual senses. Three ways to practice exercising your spiritual sight. And these are your last fillings in your notes. Number one, look back. Begin by looking back. Look back and remind yourself of God's faithfulness in the past. We need to remind ourselves of His faithfulness to us in earlier times and places, places when He's come through for us in important moments, because let's face it, we have a tendency to forget. It's not just the 10 scouts in the nation of Israel who, in 15 short months, had totally forgotten that they walked across the Red Sea on dry ground, God fed them from a rock. I mean, again, you, how could you forget this stuff? Look, it happens, especially when we're confronted with real threats, real fears, which is a normal part of life. As those things are arrayed in front of us, we can just kind of panic and, wow, what's going to happen, right? So we have to constantly remind ourselves of God's faithfulness. Even the great King David, who was a man after God's own heart, practiced this. Listen to what he wrote in Psalm 103, verse 2. He said, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits or all his blessings, right? Even King David, right? Whenever he says, O my soul, he's basically talking to himself. He's coaching himself. He's like, look, David, buddy, soul in me. Don't forget God's blessings, And honestly, all of Psalm 103, if you have time to read it, it's basically just a reminder of God's faithfulness to King David, all the ways that he showed up. So it's important to look back and remember God's faithfulness. And I want to give you a really easy way to do this. Again, this is something Lynn has started doing about 10 years ago. Lynn read a book on God's blessings and how many they are and how they're just, they're all over our lives. And this, and it really kind of changed her life. The author encouraged her just to and said, just look back and look for him in the little things. And so then began this thing about 10 years ago where she would start texting. She would start with about three or four of her friends. At night, at the end of her day, she would send a little short text saying, here's my thankful list. And she would list like three things that she, where she had saw God show up during her day and said, I'm thankful for this. I'm thankful for the sunset. I'm thankful, whatever. Like she said, you know what? That was the Lord. That was him. Again, it was his kindness in my life. And she would send that out. Well, 10 years later, again, she's now got about a dozen people she does this with every day. And and to give practical proof to the idea that our spiritual senses get better, do you know that today her typical thankful list is about 12 things every night? She's just like, he was here and he was there and he was here and oh, God is so good. And then they send one back and they, so it's this way of encouraging, it's a way to look back and remember, and also to encourage one another in, yes, God is with me. He's with me in the details of our lives. So the first thing you do is look back. Second thing you can do, begin to look around. Look around in the present and begin to see God at work in your lives. Now, when you do this, you're not typically looking for God to part the Red Sea in your life, although sometimes He will, but much more often, God is at work in the in in our daily life in the tiny little details, ways that we don't notice unless we start looking for them. You know, Pastor Chuck Smith, who was the founder of Calvary Chapel and our founding pastor Ray Bentley, he was his pastor. um, One of my favorite quotes from Chuck Smith is this, God most often works supernaturally in the natural circumstances of our lives. Let me say that again. God most often works supernaturally in the natural circumstances circumstances of our lives. What that means is, again, God is working even though it might just be a parking space that opened up for me or, uh, you know, somebody remembered that it was my birthday and texted me, somebody I'd forgotten about, right? Those look like ordinary things, but they're anything but ordinary. Those are the fingerprints of your loving Heavenly Father all over your life and you need to begin to recognize them as such. So an easy way to do that is just start looking for it, you know, look around. Um, and it's a great way to become aware of his presence. Let me give you an illustration from my life. So um, those of you who know me, um, and certainly Lynn knows me this way, would know that typically I'm a little bit late to things. It's not a quality that I'm I'm proud of, and I even know why, because I'm always trying to get the most out of life. So I'm constantly trying to just squeeze one more thing in. I'll just get one more thing. We can do that. And so I usually do one too many things, and then I'm late. Well, Lynn and I live in Escondido, and the drive over here to the church, uh, we have, it's it's about a 10 minute drive, it's not bad, Uh, but usually when I'm making it, I'm late. Okay, that's typically the case. And so as we come here, we get on Via Rentro Parkway and we take that till we get to the 15 North and then we get on the 15 and go a few miles and we come to church. Well, between where we get on Via Rentro Parkway and where I can get on Interstate 15, there are four stoplights, four stoplights. And this used to be, we've lived there for 13 years now. So 13 years ago when I would make this drive and because I was often late, if I got green lights, I was happy, like, woohoo, I'm going to be on time. If I hit those lights red, and sometimes I would, I would, and I would start to get frustrated. Oh, no, I'm going to be even later than I already am. This, and I would just, the frustration would build and build and build. Until one day, literally, God said to me, you know, John, slow down. You know, I'm behind these red lights. You need more time with me. Because the other thing I do I often, pray a lot. I talk to God a lot when I drive. It's just a nice, intimate time we have. So, and it just changed everything for me. I thought, wait, that's you, Lord? And what he was telling me was, look, when I want you there on time, all the lights will be green, and sometimes they are. And when you need to spend more time with me before your first meeting of the day, because you haven't spent, enough, you know, I need to download some things for you that you're going to need for the things you don't know that are in front of you, I make the lights red. Sometimes it's one after another. It goes green, and then the next one goes red, and I wait there, and then the next one goes red, and I wait there. And literally now, when that happens to me, I just think, oh, Lord, thank you so much, I'm just loving all this extra time with you. What else do you want to share with me, Father? What do you have for me? And you know, those people will wait. It'll be all right. Right? Just a whole different perspective. So again, look around. Begin to see God in the details of your life. And finally, look ahead. Look ahead. Get to know God's character and His ways. This is how Moses learned to walk with God. He said, you know, God, show me your ways. Reveal your glory to me. He was basically saying, Lord, show me. How do you operate? Who are you? Let me see how you work. And as I understand it, I can understand better what you're doing in my life. And also, get to know His promises. Again, as you look out and you look forward in your life at what's coming at you, see those things through the lens of God's character, of His nature, of His ways. See them through the lens of His promises. Because again, as we said earlier, God will keep His promises. We don't know how He will fulfill it, but He will fulfill each and every one. So start to memorize His promises. And what I want to close with this morning, I want to... Just read over you. I, I want to speak over you seven promises of God to kind of help you get going and memorizing promises, learn them. I want to just speak over you seven promises. I'm going to speak it as if God was speaking. I want you to, if you want, you can close your eyes here. You don't have to, but if you want to, just, just listen for a minute. This is your heavenly Father speaking over you this morning. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will finish the work I started in you. I have come to give you life, and that more abundantly. Since I am for you, who can be against you? I have not given you a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, a spirit of love, and a spirit of a sound mind. I will fulfill my purpose for you, and I am with you always, even to the end of the age. See, let those promises just soak into your soul. Let them become part of the fiber of your being, so that as you look ahead and you look at all those threats, they're very real. People that you love, maybe you're sick. Maybe there's a financial crisis on the horizon. Maybe, you know, your marriage is in trouble, and, and you just don't know how you're gonna, God's going to work it out. See those things through the lens of God's faithfulness of His promises. And as you do, you'll begin to have His perspective. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our weekend services held Saturday evening or Sunday morning. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.